This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. God only knows how often we are withheld from doing more damage. We are withheld from sin against God. Just like Peter, he missed his shot. He missed it. And when we see Peter trying to kill Malchus, we see a man with a lot of zeal. Oh, did he have zeal, Peter. Peter was Mr. Zeal. A lot of zeal. And Peter, in that state of all that zeal, he represents the religious Jewish people. The religious Jewish people. Peter had a lot of zeal. There was just one problem with Peter and his zeal. He didn't have knowledge. He was without knowledge. And Christ had tried to give Peter knowledge and say to Peter, Peter, it's necessary for me to die for sins. He'd already gone over that several times in the past with Peter, but Peter would not accept that knowledge of God. So Peter had a knowledge, had a zeal without knowledge. He had a zeal without knowledge. And God had told the Jewish people many times in the Bible that Jesus Christ was God who became a man, the Messiah man, who would die for sins. But the Jewish people did not accept that knowledge of God. And the religious Jewish people have a lot of zeal for God. They wear yarmulkes. They wear yarmulkes on their head, which do what? Mark them out as Jews. And just recently at a restaurant, in a Jewish section of Los Angeles, which is at Beverly and La Cienega, near Beverly and La Cienega in LA. There were Jewish people wearing a yarmulke in a restaurant, and so what happened? Arabs went into that restaurant and they beat them up. They beat them up because they're wearing yarmulkes. Do you think that stops them from wearing yarmulkes? No, why? They have a lot of zeal. They have a lot of zeal, but without knowledge, which is what the Bible says about them in Romans 10.1, Romans 10.1, where Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Zeal without knowledge was Peter cutting off the ear of Malchus. 
Zeal without knowledge is the religious Jews today trying to get to heaven without Jesus Christ. Peter was not the only one there who held the sword. Remember, there was another sword among the disciples. But some of the disciples, the other disciples, they asked Christ a question in Luke 22, 49. Luke 22, 49. When they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? They asked the question, Lord, do you want us to take out the sword and start swinging? Shall we smite with the sword? But what Peter did was he struck with the sword before he had an answer, before he had an answer. And so when Peter struck before he had an answer, we just see sometimes what we do. We're just like Peter. We're just like Peter. We ask a question to God in prayer, because we don't know, and then before we get God's answer, we just go ahead and do what we think we should do, just like Peter. The question was on the table, Lord, shall we smite with the sword, Luke 22, 49, but Peter doesn't, he goes ahead. We have to be careful of that. But after Peter cut off the ear of Malchus and Christ repaired the ear of Malchus, put it back again, then Christ turned to Peter and he said in verse 52, verse 52, then said Jesus unto him, put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. So even in the midst of Christ being arrested for all and, for, and, and about to be tortured and punished, in the midst of a great chaos, it was a great chaos at that moment, Christ still has the love and he still has the care to turn to Peter and give him instruction, explain to Peter, Peter, if you go down the road of using weapons, you're gonna be destroyed with weapons. So put the weapon of the sword back in its place. Don't use it, Peter. And we wonder, what was Christ thinking about during this great time here? It was Peter. What was Christ thinking about when he suffered the, all the ordeal that's going to end in the cross? The fact that at the beginning of these sufferings that Christ is thinking about Peter, he's trying to guide Peter, he's trying to get Peter's thinking straightened out, he's trying to keep Peter into a place of safety, not resorting to the use of swords, it shows us that others are on Christ's mind when he's suffering, when he's dying. Just like when Christ was nailed to the cross to die, he's, he's thinking about those who nailed him to the cross. He's worried about them. He's worried that, oh no, they may not be forgiven. So he prays this prayer, unbelievable, in Luke 23, 34, Luke 23, 34, and then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his garments. Forgive them, for they know not what they do? How about, what are they doing to me? But no, we can see Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, being arrested. He's looking at those who grabbed him, and he's probably praying, Father, forgive them for arresting me. They don't know what they're doing. We can see Christ after the skin of his back has been flailed off him, it's been beaten with a whip with cat of nine tails, and his skin has been ripped off his back, and we can see him coming off of that beating post and praying, Father, 
forgive this man for whipping me. Christ saw people and his first concern for people was that they should be forgiven for their sins. What a model Christ is for us that with every lost person that we come in contact with, that we meet, our first concern should be that that person's sins should be forgiven by them coming to Jesus Christ. So Christ says to Peter in verse 52, put up again thy sword into his place. No, to those who came to arrest him, did he say that? Did he say put your, no, he didn't say that. He says that to Peter, put up your sword, but he doesn't say those who uh, on the other side who've got all those swords, why not? Because they had an order from God the Father. What was the order? Zechariah 13.7, Zechariah 13.7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd. And Christ explains to Peter why he should put up a sword. He says, Peter, all in verse 52, verse 52, all they that take up the sword shall perish with the sword. Now, Christ is not telling Peter, look, Peter, be a pacifist, you know. He's not saying to, to Peter, look, Peter, uh, we're not in a warfare. We're not in a warfare. No, we are in a warfare. We are in a warfare. He's just saying that, look, Peter, our warfare is not with man. Look, Peter, the weapons that we use in our warfare, they're not swords. 2 Corinthians 10.3, 2 Corinthians 10.3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The weapons of our warfare, they're much stronger than swords. They're much stronger than physical weapons. The weapons of our warfare, warfare are Ephesians 6.11, Ephesians 6.11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against for the rulers of the darkness of this world, against powers, against spiritual weakness in high places. Ephesians 6.18, Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. We hold our mighty weapons for our warfare when we put both our hands together and pray. We get in the position to use our weapons of our warfare when we get on our knees. And those who came from the Sanhedrin to arrest Christ, they turned Christ over to destroy the Roman sword, to destroy Christ. They used the Romans to destroy Christ. And it was really less than 40 years later that the Romans would turn and come and destroy them with the Roman sword. As it says in Revelation 13.10, Revelation 13.10, he that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Now, to further help Peter, Christ tells Peter in verse 53, verse 53, thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. A legion was 6,000. A legion was made up of 6,000 to 12 times 6,000. That's 72,000, 72,000. So Christ is telling Peter, look, if I pray to the Father, he'll send me more than 72,000 angels. Christ turns to Peter and asks him, think about this, Peter. Think about how I could pray 
and 72,000 angels would be sent to deliver me, much more powerful than you with your sword. Christ was telling Peter that, that it's useless for you to try and deliver me with the sword. There's so much power available to me in this time, Christ is saying in verse 53. Think, verse 53, he's thinking, thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father? He's explained to Peter that he could at that moment pray to God the Father, and have an immediate deliverance. It's amazing to see Christ here in this terrible situation, and he's saying to Peter, think thou, thinkest thou, in verse 53. Christ has been surrounded by these bloodthirsty men, and it looks so terrifying, but in the midst of it all, Christ is so composed, so caring, so loving, he asked Peter, Peter, just stop and think about it a little bit. Just think about a few things, Peter. It shows us that Christ was not terrified. He was not out of his mind with his sufferings. He still had this majestic composure in his greatest sufferings here. He's asking Peter, think about, hallelujah, what a savior. What a great person. Now, when Christ used the words now in verse 43, thinkest thou that I cannot now pray, and when Christ used the words presently in verse 53, presently, and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. By using these two words, now and presently, he's emphasizing that this deliverance can be, be, be like this. I can be out of it like this, Peter, like that, quick as a snap. But even with that option that was available to Christ all throughout the road of his, his horrible sufferings, he continues to choose not to use that option. He chooses not to push that button. He could have pulled the pray for delivering angels option, but he never did. For all eternity, we're gonna be praising Christ for that reason that he never used that option. It was available to him. In verse 53, when Christ said that he could pray the Father for deliverance, the Father would answer that prayer. What he was really saying to Peter is that, Peter, it's not just that the Father could send me more than 12 legions of angels. He's saying the Father would send me more than 12 leaves of the vein. In other words, Christ is saying that if I insist, if I insist on being delivered, that the Father would deliver me. That's what he's saying. That means that the Father would not have held Christ to the promise to go through all the sufferings of the cross. So that if he wouldn't hold Christ, then what was holding Christ to the promise? Hosea 11.4, Hosea 11.4, I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love. What was holding Christ to keep his promise was his own bands of love to die for our sins. And when Christ said that if he prayed, he could have more than 72,000 angels that come and deliver him, we start thinking about, well, who are these beings, these unseen beings, these angels? The Bible says that the number of angels is innumerable. You can't even count them. Hebrews 12, 22, Hebrews 12, 22. You are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Daniel saw, Daniel saw the great judgment in a vision, and he saw the number of angels, and he said in Daniel 7, 10, Daniel 7, 10, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Judgment was said, books were opened. 
Daniel didn't even try to number the angels. He said, he just said that there were thousands of thousands and there were 10,000 times 10,000. That's 100 million, by the way. So that means that the 72,000 that Christ was talking about here that, that could be sent, they wouldn't even be missed. They, they wouldn't even be missed. No one would say, hey, where are those 72,000? No one would say, where's Ralph anyway? They, they wouldn't be missed. Those angels that Christ was referring to, they were very organized in formations. Angels assemble in an order. They are very well disciplined in military type of legions, like millions of bats. It's just amazing to me on the island of Carmen that uh, across from Loretto, there's an uh, unusual colony of bats and people have gone over there taking videos and, and so forth, the researchers. And millions of these bats, literally, millions of these bats will come out at night from this cave and they'll fly all over the place, millions. Not one of them hits another. It's amazing. They're intertwining of them. They all fly around. Not one of them crashes into another. The angels are not a confused mass of beings. They're in troops. Each angel knows his post. Each angel waits for his command that comes from God. In Psalm 103, 20, Psalm 103, 20, bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening to the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his host, ye ministers that do his pleasure. Each angel, he's listening for the voice of the command of God the Father, and then he's off. He's off with excellent strength, doing what God commands, and all, they, all that's necessary, they just gotta hear the voice of God the Father. All that would be necessary is for the angels just to hear my son wants to be delivered from those ungodly men and come home. And then off they'd be, they'd be off because the essential role of an angel is Hebrews 1.14, Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister? So those angels, they're ready for the command, but those angels also have a personal interest in Jesus Christ. Why? because as they watched God the Son enter into the world as Jesus Christ, what happened with them is told to us in Hebrews 1.6, Hebrews 1.6, and again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. So when Jesus Christ came into the world, all the angels of God worshiped Jesus Christ. So that means that if, if Christ would have prayed to the Father for 12 legions of angels, of course those angels would have sprung to action because they all worshiped Christ and they would have counted it the highest privilege, the highest honor to be able to help Christ by bringing him back home to heaven so he wouldn't have to go through the awful torment and death. And if angels had been called to that service, they would have destroyed those men instantly with their swords drawn against Christ. They would have been like the angels that Elisha saw, that Elisha saw in 2 Kings 6.17, 2 Kings 6.17. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Angels in chariots of fire pulled by horses of fire. And that's such a comfort to us to know that there's a world of angels that can do wonders and they're just standing at the ready. They're just standing there. They're just waiting to hear the orders from Christ 
because the angels are willing servants. They're winged warriors flying quickly to, to where they're sent. And this is the help that Christ was telling Peter was available to him. All he had to do was pray to the Father. And then Christ asked Peter, think about what would happen. Think about what would happen if I prayed that prayer, Peter, for deliverance. And I asked those angels, I asked God to send those angels to come and, and deliver me. Think about it, verse 54, verse 54. How then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? So he's asking Peter, think about what about the scriptures, Peter? How would they be fulfilled? And what scripture is Christ referring to there? Isaiah 53, 7. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. The scriptures of Isaiah 53, 7 was on the mind of Christ and the necessity that that scripture must be fulfilled, which said that in Isaiah 53, 7, Christ had to be oppressed. And those soldiers from the, the temple there came to arrest Christ. They were oppressing Christ. So how could Isaiah 53, 7 be fulfilled that Christ should be oppressed if the oppressors in the garden are removed? Isaiah 53, 7 says that Christ is gonna be afflicted and those temple soldiers were there afflicting Christ. So how could Isaiah 53, 7 be fulfilled if the afflictors are taken away? And then it says in Isaiah 53, 7 that Christ would not open his mouth during while he was being oppressed and afflicted. So how could Isaiah 53-7 be fulfilled that he wouldn't open his mouth if these deliverance comes? Isaiah 53-7 says that he'll be brought as a lamb to the slaughter. So how could that happen if you remove the bringers, the ones who are bringing him to the slaughter? And these are the arguments that Christ is saying to Peter to, as he's holding his sword in his hand. Think about it, Peter, think. The sword in your hand represents an obstacle to the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 7. The sword in your hand represents the stop to my affliction, to my oppression, to me being brought silent as a lamb to the slaughter. So he's saying that to Peter, above all, Peter, the word of God has to be fulfilled in Isaiah 53, 7. So he says in verse 52, verse 52, put up again thy sword into his place because the scriptures of Isaiah 57 has gotta be fulfilled. And, and, and should Christ call for the angels to deliver him, he's not, there's not gonna be any leading of a lamb to a slaughter. Should Christ allow his disciples to fight the temple soldiers, he's not gonna be led quiet, quietly as a lamb to the slaughter without resistance. So in these few verses that we've looked at, We've had the privilege, God has privileged us with, with seeing the mind of Christ during his sufferings. And what we've seen in the mind of Christ is that he's got a love and a concern for others more than himself. What we've seen is he's got these, he's, he's continually instructing and guiding even when he's in dire need himself. What we've seen is that he has a care that his disciples should, and in this case is represented with Peter, should understand not just what they had to do. In Peter's case, that they had to put away their sword, but that they should also think. And they should know not just what had to happen, but what they, sorry, they should know not just what they had to do, but they should understand why they had to do what they had to do. And then we've also seen how he has a care to, and he's healing the ear of Malchus that Peter has cut off and his consciousness 
we've seen in his mind, he has a consciousness that deliverance is just a short prayer away, and he chooses not to do that. His utmost concern that the scriptures, the prophecies should be fulfilled, and he feels his own personal responsibility and his role in the fulfillment of those scriptures. We see all these wonderful things that are in the mind of Christ, and then what does it bring back to us? Philippians 2.5, Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful things that were in the mind of Christ. Many things could have been in his mind, but we see wonderful things in his mind. Help us, Lord, to follow our model in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.